0: We just started recording and we skipped all the gold stuff and went straight to boring.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. true.
2: Learning how to learn. Today's podcast will be about learning how to learn.
1: Do we have like the, the Reading Rainbow theme song that we can <laughs> like?
2: The more you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or what was the uh, the Magic School Bus yes. theme song? Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah.
2: you're on the Magic School Bus. I like it. Yeah. Dude, did you know that they redid the Magic School Bus? I did, yeah. I watched that with the I don't think kids. it's the
1: same woman, though, that is the teacher. So,
2: well, she makes appearances. Miss oh. Frizzle makes appearances. And it's actually Miss Frizzle's niece that is now.
1: Look at that. Generational teaching. Oh my I gosh. like it.
2: It's so good. And, but somehow they still have the same kids. Like... <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. That's odd, but all right. I'll take it.
2: <laughs> or like it's the same characters. Like It yeah. might not be yeah, the yeah, same yeah. kids exactly, but it's like the exact same type of characters. Yeah. My kids love it. And I love it. That's so, great. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. So. Uh, Welcome to the podcast. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He's going like, to
0: try to clap this time. Yeah. I was going to clap for you fools. Okay. Three. Here we go. Fools. One.
1: Why are you holding your
2: fists. <laughs> I'm going to clap. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, that's the move for a grandma shark. My yeah. son does that grandma too. <laughs> shark, doo, doo, doo.
1: Well, we talked about having high energy. I think we did that well. There we go. The yeah. yeah.
2: Hey, what is up? Uh, you are now in the Ulof podcast. Technically, you were about three minutes ago, but we are finally in the mind space of the Ulof podcast and not Magic School Bus or yeah. Education. So, uh, I am uh, one of the hosts here, Kendall Kersey, and to my left we've got the chocolate voice michael bond and to my right we have boy wonder caleb fugate crushing uh the microphone today with his knowledge Mm. so yes it's gonna be good michael what are we talking
0: about today so this is a question that came in regarding suffering and I figured we would open up with this, this one because it's really good the question is wait where'd it
1: come in from from viewers like you
0: Viewers like you. Yeah, viewers just like you. (laughs) We answer your questions (laughs) if you
1: send them in, just so you know.
0: So the question is, what do we do if we feel like God is failing us? Mm. For instance, if he doesn't heal someone. So if you pray for healing and then healing doesn't happen, or maybe the opposite happens, and you feel like God has betrayed you or or failed you, what do we do in situations like that? That's a really good question because, man, we sing songs
2: about like, well, the song "Do It Again" even says, like at the end, he's he's never failed me yet. And then sometimes when you sing that song, you're like, I "Wait, don't I can know, think go a couple feels of times." Like he's failed me a couple of <laughs> times. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like I've had, I've, I've experienced this very thing. Um, so I, I don't know. Like Caleb, have you experienced this before? And if you have, yeah. like,
1: well, in the. So the trick about that song is it's like, it's great because you can say it in hindsight. Like every time I think God has failed me in the moment, I can look back and be like, oh yeah, he didn't. But it certainly doesn't feel like that at the moment, which I would argue says he did fail me in that moment. He doesn't, but it it feels like that at least, right? So it's like, how do we we reconcile that? I remember, um, so I worked at this church in rural North Carolina um, for a summer. And my first day on the job, the first Sunday I was there, I got I got there at 715 for like a men's breakfast kind of thing. We get a phone call saying the grandson of one of the per, like church members just died suddenly of a heart attack. 20 years old. Right. So we rush over to the house. Um, the EMTs are still there. Like the body is still laying on the floor. The family is weeping over them. He's got like a, a fiance, a two year old and a six month old. And all of them, I assure you, felt like God failed them, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I have no words for these people. There's, there's nothing consoling that I can say in this moment that like will make a difference, right? Um, and which makes me think from that situation mm-hmm. that there's not things to think in those moments, like when you feel like God has failed you. It, I wonder if it's okay to feel that. Um, I, I look at the Psalms and I wonder, did David feel like mm-hmm. God? Failed him. It seems like he does, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and yet he always has this like a refrain, even in the so the if you don't know anything about Psalms, the first like three books of Psalms. So Psalms has five books in it. The first three of them are lamenting Psalms, um, and all of the lament, and then the last two are two last two books are mm-hmm. praise Psalms. Yeah. Um, But even the lamenting Psalms, like, all of them have, like, yeah, the world sucks, God, and I wish you would dash my enemies' babies against the rocks, and, you know, I cried. guy, David. (laughs) I cried so much that, like, my pillow and my mattress was full of, like, salty water um, from my tears, and it's like, yeah, he had these intense moments of feeling uh, abandoned, feeling um, like God wasn't with him, Um, which makes me think, one, it's okay to feel those things, but two, so the question becomes, like, how do we assure ourselves that even in the midst of that, God is present and he isn't failing us. And um though it might not be what I want, it is what needed to be done. Right. Yeah. And I think part of that is looking to Jesus, right. And saying, it seems like the father failed him some to some degree. Like he said, my God, my yeah. God, why have you forsaken <clears throat> me? Like even Jesus himself has been through these moments. And so I don't have an answer, but I do have someone to look to, to say, even God, knows what it's like to suffer with us. And and we said this in our um U group uh sessions. Um it's like, yeah, we serve a God who suffered and I think that's at least something to start on.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well even I mean, so even if you take it a step further, like you said, okay, we serve a God who suffered in Jesus, but we also serve a God who suffered in God the Father. Yeah. Like sending his one and only Son. Like yeah. I mean, the <clears throat> the idea of that shouldn't be lost either. That right. hey, God paid a price as well, you know, and, uh, but it was for the good of all those who would right. believe in him. Right. And I think uh, it's funny. You bring up Psalm. The first thing I was thinking of uh, when you bring up Psalm was Psalms 13, and this okay. is a short one. So I'll read the whole thing. Um, but it says this, this is a Psalm of David Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me mm. forever? Mm. <laughs> How long <laughs> will you hide your face from me? Yeah. How long must I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart day after day? How long will my enemy exalt himself and triumph over me? Consider and answer me, O God. Give light to my eyes or life to my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death.
1: <laughs> <laughs> might be a little melodramatic. But. <laughs> and,
2: and my enemy will say I have overcome him, and my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. And this is where the whole thing turns. There's only yeah. six verses in this. Verse five, but I have trusted and relied on you and been confident in your loving kindness and faithfulness. My heart shall rejoice and delight in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he he has dealt bountifully with me. And I think that sums up like what you were just saying is, you know, yeah, we're going to face that feeling of failure. I Mm -hmm. mean, David just said it like, are you gonna forgive me forever? Like, God, did you did you forget me? Like, <laughs> right. you know, my enemies are overtaking me or my problems have, have overcome me. Um, and then at the end he just says, But nevertheless, like I'm yeah. gonna worship you. Yeah. And I'm gonna I'm gonna remember the times when you didn't fail me. Yeah. And so like you were saying about that song specifically, you know, reminding yourself, it might feel like he even is failing me right now, but he hasn't failed me before now that I'm on the other side of it, right? right?
1: So so what does it look like to sit in that and know that on the other side of this, even I will be okay?
2: Yeah, yeah. For me, like, I know uh, the whole like specific question of when you pray for someone to get healing and they don't, I have experienced that on a very... Uh, on a very real and close to home level. So um, if you've listened to the podcast or been at United, you might've heard before me talking about the fact that my mom has multiple sclerosis. Yeah. And she actually just sent us a picture, um, my, my family, a picture that she found of like the year before she was diagnosed. So that would have been, you know, the last year I saw her standing. Um, and most people that get MS, like it's just, It's not that it's not that bad, but it's that like, oh, they're weak for, you know, for a period of time. And like, they've got to lay down for a while and they just get energy sucked away from them. Well, she already also had like some neurological damage as well. So, um, her particular case was like diagnosed. And then in three months she was in a wheelchair and within six months was confined to the wheelchair at all times. Right. And so this was in 2001 or two. So this is a while back. I mean, this is 18 years ago, right? And I remember, um, like when I was, this was in my formative faith years, right? Right. Like I'm a teenager. I remember I was a sophomore in high school, um, whenever she was, or I was, it was my second semester of my freshman year of high school when she was diagnosed. And, um, yeah. So like, these are my formative years of who is God to me? Who am I? You know, I'd been raised in church and all that. And I remember, Sunday after Sunday, after Sunday, we, we were raised, I was raised in a charismatic, uh, uh, faith healing, believing church, right. Um, you know, believing that that, that that stuff would work. And I believe this day, that healing does happen and does take yeah. place, that miraculous things do happen. Um, but I just remember like Sunday after Sunday, the whole church, we had we had this prayer time, right? Uh, much like prayer and praise uh, at United. And we had this prayer time that we'd send in prayer requests. And one that was always in was healing for Belinda, healing for Belinda. And I, I distinctly remember there was one particular day where we like stopped down service and prayed for like an hour. And I remember them taking my mom Like this was when she could kind of barely walk. They took her out of her wheelchair and like walked her around the, like with assistance, obviously walked her around the church, trying to like initiate faith for healing, right? Like we're going to test this out. You know, when Jesus heals somebody, he tells him to get up and walk. And so that's what we're going to do right now. Get up and walk and you're going to be healed. And I remember that specific one because I, I remember going home and being like, wow, she's still in the wheelchair. Mm. Like that didn't work at all. Like what the heck? And I remember asking my dad, like, dad, what's this about? Like you, you have taught me all my life. This church has taught me all my life that if we just pray for healing, healing's going to happen. And if we have enough faith, so it made me think like, well, I guess I don't have enough faith. And did the rest of the church have enough faith? And, you know, so like I was really struggling with these questions, of course, not really once my dad said, my dad gave me an answer and I'll give you to you in a second. But like, I was really struggling with these questions of like, what the heck mm-hmm. is going on? And so I felt, I felt like God didn't fail me. Like he was failing my mom. Cause I was thinking, man, she's so faithful. And like, she, there's nothing wrong with her. Like, you know, like, I mean, I was just thinking my mom's perfect. You know, I yeah. found later that she's not perfect, but she's still wonderful. So, <laughs> but yeah. she's not perfect. Just like none of us are perfect. So, um, <clears throat> but she still has remained faithful through all of this. And so I was just thinking like, God, This is one of your most faithful, humble servants and you can't heal her? Like, what is the deal? So I remember asking my dad and my dad said, you know, you have to remember that when we're praying for healing, God wants her to be healed. He wants her to be healed, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to happen here on earth. Mm. That whenever she she has remained faithful and whenever she dies and goes to heaven, guess what? She's going to get a new body. Now, that was not a good enough answer for me. (laughs) <laughs> and it honestly, it doesn't feel like a good enough answer. Even right. though it's the truth, it doesn't feel like a good enough answer. Even to this day, I'm like, yeah, yeah but how much more awesome would it be? Um, but what I have found is that on the hindsight of it <clears throat> is that her faith through her suffering has touched so many people, myself yeah. included. It's really put into context my like dealings of what I think is suffering. You know, like to think, holy crap, like my mom's been in a wheelchair for twenty years, like can barely use her hands, like her body's deteriorating daily, and yet she still loves the Lord, still worships, still praises, still like on her hard days even, like loves. I mean, for the for the first like five years, she was really heavy on the worship team singing and she would they built her a ramp so that she could go up there and sing on the worship team. Even when her voice had deteriorated to where she didn't sound like she normally is saying, like she went to school on a a vocal scholarship. And then whenever she was leading worship in the wheelchair, she just couldn't support and was tired. But she was still like, no, this is what God has called me to do. I want to do this. And so through that experience, I feel like I've gone through the waves of, wow, God, you're really failing us. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you're failing me and my family. Like you took away my mom from me. Like even though she wasn't dead, I felt like she she was taken away from me. Yeah. And I've worked through even therapy in that. Like That had a major impact on, on just my upbringing, right? And it, it would, just like as if you lost a parent, probably even worse if you lost a parent. But I say all that to say like the point of it is <clears throat> what you said is on the back end of it, we're not even through it yet. Right. But as I've been able to contextualize it and see her be faithful through all of this, yeah. it has built my faith and built other people's faith. So when my dad says, there will be healing that comes from your mom, I think about all of the families and all of the people that have possibly been spiritually healed yeah. in a way because of her story. And so it still sucks. And I still have the question of why? <laughs> like, God, why didn't you? And I still have to wrestle with that. Yeah, But at the same time, there is that hope and that faith of like, well, things are working out for the good. Like on a on a larger scale, it's yeah. not just this small little thing. You right. know, it's it's a larger scale that we have to be aware of. And that, I think
1: so. One of the <clears throat> quintessential stories in the Bible that really kind of points to that larger scale thinking um, in regards to suffering is the Book of Job. Job. Yeah, Job. <laughs> um, <laughs>
2: you ever read the book of Job before?
1: Yeah, it's really good. It's good. Um, but Job, like, is this, um, and the Bible depicts him as a righteous man, um, like no one else. And he is blessed by God. And if you don't know the story, um, Satan comes into the courtroom of God and is like, "Hey, God, like the reason he loves you and, and is because you keep blessing him. Like, take away that, and he's gonna curse you and everything like that." So God says, "All right, we'll put him to the test." Curses him, takes away his stuff, his family dies couple kids die his wife is like pissed at him because all of these things are happening and he thinks he's mm-hmm. sinned so she kind of is like man i don't want this anymore <laughs> his friends aren't really great friends um and at the towards the end of the book he's sitting in ashes and wearing sackcloth because that's what you do um apparently i've yeah, never he's done mourning. that yeah he's mourning um and he he goes to god and he says god why have you done this to me how dare you i deserve better kind of deal yeah um and and god doesn't give him an answer to why he does that, but God does say, uh, where were you when I formed the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I set the oceans and its boundaries? Where were you when I put the stars in the sky? Where were you? And he goes on for like four chapters yeah. of this, right? Um, and I think the point of it is to say, um, like we we think only in context of our own lives. Um, but God is thinking in the context of the entire universe, Mm -hmm. right? He is ordering everything Mm -hmm. to be good, right? And including like all of those families that got in, like were in contact with your mother, right? Because Mm -hmm. like God orchestrated all of that too. It didn't just happen randomly, right? Like, so God is up to so much more that we can't see and couldn't even comprehend to say like the things going on in our individual lives, though important to us, And not that they're not important to God. It's like God is working on that, but God is working on infinite other things as well, including creating ways in which your own suffering and tragedy could be blessings to other people, could bring glory to God. Um, And it's like, and it's hard to wrestle with, but it's true. And it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. God is like big, like really, really big. And he's doing a lot of things and not that he doesn't care about me, but he's orchestrating ways in which even my scenario um, can do amazing things to bring him glory, right? And it takes a lot of orchestrating to do that. Yeah. It takes yeah. a lot of effort to get all of those people to interact with your mother at the right place, at the right time, with the right heart to be able to hear mm-hmm. what she has to say, right?
2: Yeah, and it builds, like, to me, it builds your faith. Like, if if you don't ever feel like God failed you, if he gave you everything you ever wanted, every time you asked for it, is that really building faith or is that just having a genie in the sky that says, here's what you, here's what you have. In fact, uh, Michael, I'm gonna put you on the spot. Will you share kind of what you said? Uh, You even said you said it in your group last night. And um, I think it it goes along with specifically on this.
0: Oh yeah. I'll share it. So um, one of the things that I told my small group was that I'll pray for lots of things, but I won't, I tend not to pray for the things that I really want the most where I'm, where I'm most vulnerable. Yeah. And, I tend to avoid praying for those things because I feel like I have to protect God from failing Mm. uh, to deliver or protect myself from feeling like I was betrayed by God. And so the next logical question with all of this is how does this idea translate to prayer? So should people keep praying for things that they continuously do not receive or maybe that, you know, their life is unfolding in a way opposite to what they're praying for? Mm -hmm. Like I think Caleb about what you said about the exodus and about how for 400 years presumably people were praying for liberation mm-hmm. for 400 years and it wasn't being delivered yep. and so what should we do in in situations where we've just over and over and over again not had our prayers answered right how should we keep praying And it's
1: not just yours like for them it was their parents prayed those prayers, their grandparents yeah. prayed those prayers. Also keep in mind, people are only living like 40 years at that point in time tops. So that's 10 generations of people that prayed to God for liberation. Nothing happened. So you, your parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents, great-great-great-great-grandparents, <laughs> great great 10 generations worth, right? That's a long time of yeah. people never hearing from God.
2: Yeah, that's wild. I mean, I think that for us, like, and this is something that I've, I've had to even think about, like, okay, what is prayer really? Like, prayer it in its very basic form is talking to God. Yeah. And it's partly making my request known, but it's also partly getting context and, like, really understanding that kind of like how the book of Job ends is that, you know, you're right. I wasn't there when you formed the earth, right? I wasn't there when you made the waters and you made everything and, um, you know, your ways are higher and your thoughts are greater and, and it really helps put into perspective. And I think like, even when I read Psalm 13, Psalm 13 is a prayer. Yeah. Like it's oh, not yeah. it, like the book of Psalms is prayers and songs, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe one of the same many times. And, um, I mean, even David does it right there and says, what the heck? Like, if you put it in today's context, you'd be like, where are you? Seriously, man, like, this is not okay. Where are you at, dude? You're failing me. And then at the end, I I imagine there was a, a a thought process there as he's writing of, yeah, but I remember that time that I was with the lion and you helped me defeat him. And I didn't die. Yeah. And I didn't get (laughs) killed. I remember that one time that I was with Goliath and you helped me, kill him and cut yeah. off his head, which is awesome. And I wish they told that story in like Sunday school. Like anyways, they did in my Sunday school. <laughs> well, like little kid Sunday school, like I want my son to be like, yeah, freaking David cut off his head. It's awesome. Anyways, <laughs> I don't actually want that. He's four, <laughs> but like uh, you look at the context of the Psalms yeah. and you see the the thought process that goes on. And so when you say, do we still pray for it? Yeah, we we do. We do still pray. Um, And as we pray, I think that it becomes like what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane in John 17 if you want to go read his whole prayer um, he ends up with basically saying, God, I don't want to go to the cross can this cup please pass from me please I don't want I don't want to die Like, I know what this is going to feel like, and I don't want this. Uh, I'm going to have to take on all the shame of everybody. I don't want to take on this sin. And then he he reconciles with, but nevertheless, not my will, but Mm. your will be done. And I think that's what happens in prayer is that we can continue to ask, and we can continue to petition, and we can continue to say, God, will you please or can you? But our end result has to be, but will you help me just follow your will? Right. That's what I really want to do. And so like, maybe it's, uh, as we continue to pray for it, we don't give up in faith, but we say, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes I tend to skip the part of having asking for the cup to pass from me and just skipping straight towards not, not my will, but your will, which, I'm you know, I'm thankful that God's omniscient and he knows what I want anyway, yeah. even if I don't ask for it. Um, but there's things that you learn I, I
2: feel like there's thing, there's so much that you learn in suffering like mm. so much. And this is, you know, for, for me, like I've been in sports all my life and I was not gifted as an athlete young at a young age. Like I was terrible. Like I remember one time we were playing football with my dad at like this boys camp thing. And I was picked last and he was one of the captains. So like I remember wow. like I was in eighth grade and I wasn't even picked by my dad to play on the football team, <laughs> but like he wasn't, he wasn't being a jerk or anything, but he was like, yeah, you got to get better, man. And so anyways, I remember that same year, like I was a terrible athlete that year, that same year, I literally struck out every time I played baseball, like every at bat for a year, I struck out and then ended up going and, uh, having a scholarship offer for both baseball and football at a college. So like what I see through that though, is like suffering is hard and dealing with suffering is hard work and doing hard things pays off almost. Yeah. If not always, almost always, like doing the hard things, not just because they're hard and you're going to be an idiot, but like doing things that come your way and they're difficult and pushing through and saying, as much as this hurts or as, as intense as this is, I know that there's something better on the other side. And so I'm going to continue to do the work through it. Right. And I will say, like, I think that that's a big issue issue with the world that we live in. And I don't even think it's just this generation. Like we could point to like, oh, well let's, you know, millennials and Gen Z, but really it's a lot of people in a lot of different generations. Well,
1: to quote the, uh, the great Ecclesiastes, There's not a word for that. (laughs) (laughs) To quote Solomon, uh, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. So yeah, it's like we, you know, you could point to any
2: generation. People like people don't want to do the hard stuff in a in a general aspect, right? Um like they just don't want to do hard things because it's hard. Like and if but if we had this mindset even in the midst of suffering or even in the midst of feeling like God has failed us to understand that there is something here to be learned, that this is a part of a greater story that one day it might even be that when I die and go to heaven, but one day this all pays off. Yeah. And I think having that mindset really does a lot for us in our prayer life and really does a lot for us in how we suffer. I mean, I talked about it uh, when um, at our last Unite when we talked about suffering. Like, look at any Disney story ever. If there wasn't suffering in it, it'd be really boring. That's true. Super, super boring. So we just have to keep that mindset and do the hard things. And I think that one of the hard, hardest things to do in when you feel like you're being failed is praying and worshiping to the person that you think is failing you. Mm.
0: So I have a theological quandary that comes at the end of this. But first I'll ask, um, when you were in the midst Isn't of is Isn't that where you get rocks? A quandary? <laughs> That's a quarry. <laughs> Just like Um, (laughs) Yeah, uh, I think he's about to throw some theological rocks at us. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. Sorry. (laughs) That checks out. The Israelites spent 400 years mining the quandaries. So so when you were in the midst of suffering, Mm -hmm. did you realize that it was making you a better person or did it take until you could look back? And did you think that you need to have, if it did take till you look back, do you think that it requires some sort of maturity in order to realize that while you're in the middle of the suffering? Um, so what, what do people do if they're suffering and they're just like, well, I can't see how this is making me better. How can they break through that?
1: I Well, the thing about suffering is it very rarely... Like, so suffering kind of blinds you to the moment that you're in it, right? Like mm-hmm. I've never realized that the things that I was growing in, in the midst of suffering, suffering, it just sucks. It's suffering. That's kind of the whole point. It's not till I've never till after the fact. Yeah. Realized like, Oh, the, this was the gist of it. Right. But it does take some maturity and the maturity is <clears throat> being willing to sit in the suffering and be okay with that somewhat. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. mature people, the some of the most mature people I know, Um, have endured a lot and have been okay with having faith in the midst of suffering and not just kind of cursing God but saying you know at some point this too shall pass there's a season for everything and I can't force seasons such I don't know about Mm -hmm. you but I've never been able to force seasons to change both in weather it's April and it's snowing so ridiculous um, this
2: wouldn't happen in Texas no,
1: it wouldn't. <laughs> uh, but you would get grid. like hurricanes and lose yeah. a power grid. So, you know, I'll take my
2: I'll
1: take my chances with Pennsylvania weather. Um, but you that's the thing. Maturity is like being able to sit in suffering and somewhat be okay with it.
2: Yeah, I think that uh even when again, when you look at the Psalms, when you look at the scriptures, like I think that in the moment the suffering is all that you can see. Even yeah. now, like when I have bad days or something doesn't go my way, like, man, even now I can be a baby about it. And you know, that's strong words, but some, but really in the grand scheme of things, the suffering I'm experiencing today is nothing compared to what I've experienced before. And so it's like, I can, I can just be fixated on that. And one of the things that does help me, and I think this is like, once you've experienced a lot of suffering and you become more mature is one of the things that does help me is I go talk to a mentor who reminds me about all the things that God has pulled me through. Cause mm-hmm. I can't remind myself a lot of times. Um, and then uh, reminds me like, so God got you through that last thing. He's going to get you through this. Why don't you spend some time in prayer? Or, or Hey, remember the scripture says this, and it's not that they're offering solutions, right? It's that, and they're not saying don't suffer. They're saying, as you suffer, just remember, like the reason why Job's friends sucked, is because they told him while he was suffering, well, it's probably because you sinned. Right. It's yeah. probably because it's your fault. Yeah. You're suffering because it's your fault and you should just stay there and sucks for you, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, they Repent. didn't remind him of all the good things that God had done. They right. were just saying, you suck. You're a terrible person and you got yourself into this mess, right? Right. And I think that's the key. Like the maturity is, man, I need someone to talk to that that is a mentor of mine, not a peer that's going to be like, you know not remind me about who god is but i need i need someone who's going to remind me about who god is and about what he's done because it's hard to remind myself and that's the beauty of the body of christ right is like when i can't stand i've got someone else to help me yep. you know when i can't when i can't face that day or that or this particular suffering that's in front of me i've got someone who faced one before and i think it's in 1st corinthians it talks about that like the the sufferings that we face today eventually help us to minister to someone tomorrow. Yeah. And so I can go to someone who is older, who is wiser, or who has been through more life in general, and they can remind me, hey, God is still good. Life sucks right now. I'm not discounting that, but God is still good. And he's yeah. going to see you through this
0: just like he has before. So cling to that and cling to him. Mm. Okay, so here's a nice, easy problem for you guys to solve in the final couple of minutes here. Um, <laughs> great. Great. <laughs> Imagine you have a situation where someone is praying for the restoration of their marriage and it doesn't happen Mm. and it ends in divorce. Or imagine uh, a child is sick, has cancer, some kind of terminal illness, and the parents are praying for the child to survive and it doesn't happen. The child dies. Mm. If those prayers end with not my will, but your will, does that mean that divorce in that situation is God's will or that the child dying is the will of God? And how do Mm. we deal with something like that?
2: Okay. So the way that I view this question, um, (laughs) is that the two, the two scenarios you just gave, the reason for that suffering is sin and not saying that it's not sin of a parent or sin of a person. It's sin on a global scale, right? Like God hates divorce. God doesn't want divorce. But divorce exists because humans exist and because humans have fallen and because humans make poor decisions. Um, and that is the reason why divorce exists. And when you have, in the case of divorce, um, if you're praying and you are diligently praying, and but you're only one part of the two halves, essentially, that make the whole of marriage... Right. It's really hard to be, you're supposed to be one flesh. And so if you're working against the other side of your flesh, then it's like nearly impossible in that. And so that's not saying that it's God's will in that point. The crazy thing about God's will is that he won't make you do something uh, out of, well, he might, but on a general basis, he doesn't like force anybody to do something because he gives us free will. If he did that, he wouldn't have allowed Adam and Eve to eat the, the fruit in the garden. He would have said, get that out your mouth. But he didn't. He gave them free will because he loves, right? So like, even though we pray God's will, God's will is ultimately love and is ultimately to reconcile people to him and for <clears throat> for us to rely on him. So that's in the case of divorce. And in the case of a kid who, who might die, like this actually just happened with the really famous uh, church, Bethel Church. Like one of their musicians, one of their worship leaders had a daughter that died tragically. And the whole church gathered and they were like, we're gonna pray for the healing. And the resurrection of this of this uh, girl, and it didn't happen, and they had to reconcile with that. And um, the reason why is not because the parents sinned or the girl sinned or anything like that. Is it's simply that death entered this world whenever sin took hold of this world, and so it's not that it's God's will for that person to die or not be healed or or whatever. It's that ultimately, just like we were talking at the very beginning, ultimately God's will globally and all throughout history is like, cannot be understood by us. And so it's not that specifically his will was for someone to die, but he does have greater purposes with everything that happens. Mm -hmm. And so like the craziest thing about God being all powerful and all knowing and everywhere is that if something happens that he honestly doesn't desire to happen, he can still turn it for good. And therefore his will actually is his, his overall will actually is still accomplished. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, That's a pretty good point. Um, just the idea that if the marriage ends or if the child's life ends, we make a mistake to, to like leap to the conclusion that that, that was the the will of God, the ultimate Mm -hmm. will of God, that that happened where we sort of cut off the context of our eternal nature and the, right. the global nature of sin and all of that, and <clears throat> and just assume that God was only thinking, okay, this is how I want this to go. Period. And, yeah, I think uh,
2: I think having the mindset, having eternal mindset, is something that we don't talk enough, um, talk about enough as Christians or even yeah. as pastors. Like I know I don't talk about it that much, but I think that oh, I do. <clears throat> well, respond. yeah, no, so I'm kidding. <laughs> Caleb, the boy <laughs> wonder, is just really good. So, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think that, like, something that we don't necessarily uh, pound enough is the fact that we have to as christians or we are supposed to as christians supposed to have an eternal mindset and an eternal mindset means that what is happening right now in the grand scheme of things it's important to us right now and it's important to us with our plans and all that right now but in the grand scheme of eternity unless it's dealing with salvation of someone's soul it's not as important as we think it is. yeah. And so we have to have that eternal mindset. And dude, it is hard sometimes. Like I'm not here saying you need to have an eternal mindset and you better figure this out. I'm saying it's freaking hard to do. Right. But that's where we rely on the Holy spirit. Remind me, remind yeah. me that I'm just a vapor and this life is a mist right. and that you are eternal. And if I'm with you, I will be eternal. So, yeah.
1: and I think one of the, and so that's like the theological side and the, the pragmatic side that, as Christians we need to be able to do well is sit in other people's misery and be 100% with being uncomfortable. Like you are going to be uncomfortable in other people's misery and that's the job that we have as Christians Mm -hmm. and you need to be okay with that. And the vast, I, I find that the vast majority of Christians that I deal with are not okay with that. And we'll say platitudes and things like that to make things to be better. But in reality, we're just really bad at sitting in other mm-hmm. people's messes. Right. And all of Job's friends were really bad at sitting in his messes. Yeah. And he just needed someone to sit there with him. Right. And it's hard. Like, I don't want to sit through other people's messes. That's I got my own messes. Right. It's, a, you know, someone going through a divorce. That's really hard to be with them in that. Right. But I'm called to do that. Regardless of how uncomfortable it makes me, they're certainly more uncomfortable than I am, right? And I need to learn how to have tension with being able to sit in grief um, because there's seasons of suffering and I'm supposed to weep with those who weep. So we need to be better at that. And that's kind of like the, the, the task that the church has is to be able to learn how to weep well with other people in suffering.
2: Yeah, no, that's good. I I know that I'd struggle with that because <clears throat> I have way more of like a coach's mindset and be like, yeah. well, here's A, B, and C that you need to do, right? And I'm really poor at that when I know that that's not the right thing to do. Yeah. Is I've got to be able to slow down for a moment yeah. and sit and just be like, man, I'm sorry. It's, it's that's you know? hard. Yeah, it's hard is very especially different.
1: when you're like sitting on the outside of that and like I can <clears throat> I can see three things that you could do right now to make yeah. your life better, but it's like that's not that's not what we're called to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, and having that perspective problem in terms of the biblical story would look something like saying that God's will was for Christ to be crucified on the cross and that's it. As opposed to saying the crucifixion was part of God's will, but God's ultimate will is resurrection, resurrection and redemption yeah. mm-hmm. and all of that. And so I think that you really nailed down on that perspective problem that people could have in the midst of their suffering and saying, well, God's will is for this to happen. So what does that say about God? But yeah, right. it's, it's not saying anything about God. It's saying something about your perspective that needs to be Altered. morphed a little bit. Yeah. yeah
2: uh, I'll, I'll end with this. I saw a, uh, a, um, quote from Bob Santos, uh, which if you uh, grow up or have been around the Indiana PA area, you know, Bob Santos and he's a writer and uh, he's an awesome dude. Yeah. He's a really cool guy. And, uh, he posted something today that said like, and I'll butcher the quote, but basically he said that, um, your perspective of God does not change the reality of God but it does change your reality. Like the Mm -hmm. way that you perceive reality. Right. Right. And so if you think that God's will was for you to suffer and you're like, man, God's mean, like, you know, and like you, if you, if that's the takeaway that you have, if something bad goes or something, if you feel like you've been failed by God and you ultimately say, man, God's not good. How could he be good? this just happened, then that's going to change your perceived reality. That doesn't change the truth and the absolute of who God is. Right. It just changes your perception of him and then changes your perception on reality. And so that's where we, we, it's dangerous to do, you know, what you just said. So, yeah. well, that's We're it. glad that you guys joined us for this very light conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, this was like whipped cream. This is a whipped cream conversation. It was yeah. so light and oh, so yeah. fluffy and just cherry on top, man. With Bob Santos, it was good. But hey, guys, uh, <laughs> we want you to know that um, if you are listening to this in the year... Oh, that camera went dead. Over here. If you are listening to this in the year 2021, and if you're listening of to it Lord in April... Uh, Savior, uh, hey, Jesus we've <laughs> Yes, we've got unite. Tuesday night, May 4th. May the 4th be with you, but may you also be at Unite at the Indiana Theater in Indiana PA on Philly Street, 727. Make sure you are there. We're actually going to be talking with a friend because we're going to be talking about does God really have a plan for my life Mm. and what should I do next? So if you want the answer to that question, be there, 727, May 4th, Tuesday night, Indiana Theater, um, and we would love to see you guys there. But if you can't make it, we'll see you on the next U Loft
0: deuces. Bye everybody.